spent most of our time in the Gospel of John last week because of the statement that we read here by Moses in uh, verse 15. So let's pray and then we'll try to finish this chapter at least. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy and grace. It's new today. Feels good, Lord, to uh, have your mercies new every day. We just take things for granted a lot, I believe, Lord, and we just want to just bask in this moment, Lord, that you've given us today. And we pray, Lord, that we'll learn of you and be more like you as we study your word. May we crucify this flesh and live in the spirit and walk in the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started Romans last night. I think it's going to be delicious for us. Uh, and I was thinking about, I brought this, mentioned this last night, uh, about how Adam and Eve just give over to the flesh talking to God every day. You know, I mean, God's showing up in the cool evening and them actually, as close as we know, being face to face with God every day and still decide, nah, we're going to do what we want to do. And that's the power and the nature of the flesh. And Moses, if you look at Moses and people like Moses and Abraham and David and these guys that really blew it at some point in their life, uh, one of two things will happen when you blow it. Uh, you'll either shy away from God and uh, or you'll cling that much tighter because you realize what you're capable of, right? And this, the flesh is it don't it don't the natural man. The Bible says does not receive the things of God, so he wants to do his own thing. The flesh likes to have his way. So Moses, we we used this leap verse, and then we went straight to John I'm talking about this in the context of the Christian life says, uh, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. <laughs> so Moses learned a valuable lesson, right? That if God ain't going, ain't no sense in me going. <laughs> but sometimes we don't think that through, do we? We don't think that through that, well, I'll just go ahead and try to fix this or do this, even if God's not leading or unctioning. And that age-old thing that gets us in trouble, right? Well, it needs to be, All right? I had a guy who uh, owned a few businesses in town years ago, and he said, I'm trying to get to the place to where I don't worry about anything that don't matter 100 years from now. Be a good spot to be in, wouldn't it? So let's, because uh, <clears throat> he had a lot of stuff coming at him owning several businesses. Let's pick up in verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. You can see what, what makes the difference in our life is the presence of God. Not our craftiness, not how good we think we get at something, but what really sets us apart is the presence of God. You can go out in the world, this is an easy one to make this illustration with, you can go out in the world and find people with voices that are phenomenal, 
but they don't have the anointing of God on them. And you can tell the difference when you see somebody with God's anointing. You can hear a wonderful speaker, but you can tell the difference when somebody's got the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. That's really what separates us. Do you realize that uh, there are people that are better than what we do probably than we are, you know? But, but what really separates us is, is the presence of God. And Moses is saying that here, right? And that, that, that puts you in a whole different realm. If I go into a situation only as a natural person, I'm limited. I'm limited. As smart as we may think we are, we're still limited. We're limited with our intelligence. We're limited with our abilities. We're limited with our knowledge of a situation. But... If I go into a moment with the Holy Spirit, I have access to all knowledge, all knowing through Him. So, I mean, I'm going into a situation with the Holy Spirit with far greater power and resources than I would ever go on my own. And so, Moses is, is saying that here. He says, uh, we'll be separate, your, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Are Christians different? Well, they should be. That's what the word holiness means in the New Testament. Hagios means to live a cut above. That means we're perfect, but we do live different lives. We have higher standards. We have somebody who's over us. You've heard me say this a lot, and I knew this from the get-go. We never taught our children that we were the final authority in their life. Never. They never heard that from us. They knew that there was somebody else to answer to above us. We always taught them that. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for. You have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Man. Remember when the demons were there and they said, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but who are you? <laughs> and so they jumped on the sons of Sceva, tore their clothes off, and sent them home. Look what this so. He says, I'll do this thing for you found grace in my sight. It said the same thing about Noah. Remember that? When Noah was getting ready to be used by God, it said Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Grace is unearned favor, unearned. Uh, and and, and we, we say a, a catchphrase, most circles, theological circles will just basically say that grace is unmerited favor. In other words, you didn't, you didn't earn it, right? But it, I like what A.W. Tozer says, who's gone on to be the Lord, but he, he talks about how grace is deeper than that. That grace is just not somebody coming by who didn't earn anything, but he said grace is the guy came by your house yesterday and stole from you. And then the next day he comes by and you still love him and feed him. He said, that's grace. Because all of us were enemies of the cross, right? We were enemies of God. There was none good, no, not one. He said, so grace is deeper than just something that's unearned. It's that person, which you and I were, that was against God. And then he still loved us. He still gave himself. He said, please show me your glory. 
Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you into the cliff of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand, I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, you know, as I said before, there's a practical side to salvation, not just a supernatural side. The practical side is we couldn't, in our state, we couldn't just walk into the presence of God. we disintegrate. <clears throat> we must be clothed and most likely have a glorified body before we could even attempt to gaze into the presence or the face of God. <clears throat> and so Moses is hidden, <coughs> excuse me, hidden from that. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones and I will write, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, what happened, the, the event. We'll see that in this next few verses. It says, cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. <laughs> I don't think explanations with God the way we like to give them in our culture will do, will do well on judgment day. When the Lord says, you lied. Well, I just misspoke. I don't think that'll carry any weight with God. You know, remember when Sarah was laughing and the Lord come by and said, you're going to have a child. And, and you can understand why she did that. She's way up in years and she's like, this ain't happening, you know. And she laughed. Well, I can't, this is the flesh though, right? The Lord challenged her on it. She said, oh, I didn't laugh. And he said, you laughed, <laughs> right? So he knows. And so he said, he just tells Moses, said, you, you broke those last ones I gave you. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout the mount, all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So mercy, grace being extended. You're going to rewrite them. But what if that was our heart's desire? What if more than getting our stuff that we think we need and want. What if we had a heart like Moses and said. I want to see you glory. If you think about maybe our prayer lives, sometimes, most of the times, we're trying to get stuff out of God if we're not careful. I was thinking about Reinhard Bonnke's testimony, who was the German that God used extensively until he was called home. But Reinhard Bonnke <clears throat> wanted, he felt like the Lord spoke to him. He said, 
do you want a million dollars to buy? He needed a tent or something he was doing. The crusades he held were, uh, they dwarfed anything Billy Graham done, and they're not in competition. I don't mean it in that way, but multiple thousands of people would be gathered where Reinhard Bonnke was at. Miracles took place, salvations, but he said his response that day was, no, Lord, I'd rather have a million souls than a million dollars. And then the Lord just blew that ministry wide open. But his heart, you could see where his heart was at. And I think that's where Moses' heart's at. Moses is not really seeking any glory. He didn't really want to do the task, right? He's like, I can't talk, can't speak, don't send me. You know, okay, if I got to go, send somebody with me. And if you read through that, he winds up talking, doing all the talking anyway. Uh, He's just trying to excuse himself. And so he's, uh, now the Lord descended in the cloud in verse 5 and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, truth-keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Have you ever had to ask your children to forgive you? I have. Handle something wrong. Uh, Because you don't want that passed down. You know, I've had people come to my office over the last 38 years and say, well, I'm this way because my dad was that way, or I'm this way because my mom was that And I usually, this is my response, well, you both need to change. Your dad and you, you and your mother need to change. That's no excuse, right? <clears throat> we all have stuff to deal with, but the whole, we shouldn't take pride in the fact that we got handed off something that offends God. As if that's some kind of family heirloom. I'll knock your head off because that's the way my family grew up. Well, you all need to repent. Quit knocking people's heads off. And that, that's the beauty of salvation. You're going to let salvation have its full run in you? Or are you going to pick and choose what you're going to surrender to God? And hold on to some of them family heirlooms. That's not, that's not the, the work of salvation encompasses our whole life. It may take a while. It may take a while. Listen, I come from a long line of mean people. <laughs> if I can say that. Both sides of my family tree, some of them were mean. Some of them killed some people. I mean, it's just, but at some point, that's, Jesus steps in and makes a difference. It's a miracle that I'm in the ministry, to be honest with you, because most of my family... Behind me, didn't even get to get out of grade school, much less go to high school. I had uh, grandmothers that couldn't read or write. But thank God for somebody turning the ship around. We were, the whole family was sailing the wrong way, and we were into moonshine and <laughs> everything. And horse thieves... And I tell that story, usually when I go somewhere, people, I'm introducing myself, I tell them that... The Robinses got run out of North Carolina, and this is true because my cousin, she's a genealogist, and she's raced, traced our family all the way back to the 1200s. But she, uh, 
she found out that there's a Robbinsville, North Carolina, if you've heard that before, but the Robbinses got run out of North Carolina because they were horse thieves years ago. And that's what I tell everybody. The reason Kentucky's got good horses is because we brought them with us when they run us out of North Carolina. But we shouldn't take pride in things that are offensive to God. We, we, that's not a family heirloom. That's sin traveling down. And somebody's got to say, whoa. We don't want that to go down to the next generation. And then he says, notice the name of the Lord here. He says, the, the, is, is the Lord God merciful, gracious, long-suffering, goodness, abounding in goodness, truth, mercy, forgiveness. Seven things, the seven spirits of God. Seven things that God is known for. He's known for being merciful, gracious, long-suffering. And that's why any of us are even here this morning. Those first three. Or none of us would be here. Uh, goodness, truth, mercy, and forgiveness. That's the Lord. And then the final thing is that He does not. If you're guilty, the only way you can be clean is come through the Son. And then those iniquities get visited down on the, upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now what will break that curse is Christ. He, if you read the New Testament covenant, what Jesus does is He come to break the curse. Years ago, I was praying for sick folk one night in an altar and this guy come up and he was my age, 30s. And he's, uh, he's a little couple years older than I am. But he would come up, and I was late 30s, so he was closer to 40. But his tears were just running down his face. Strong, really rough-cut guy. When God saved him, he saved a rough character. Uh, <clears throat> and he, um, he was crying because all of his family, his dad and all of them, had passed on early from a certain disease. But none of them had served the Lord. And he had served the Lord. And I'll never forget the Holy Spirit giving me that word about how the curse. I said, because you've come to Christ, the curse can be broken in Christ. You don't have to trod that path just because everybody else did. And he's still alive today. He's in his 60s. He's outlived all of them. That's the beauty of the new covenant is those curses that get handed down can be broken. In Christ. That's the value of that of the new covenant. And he says, So he's so Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, worshiped, and then said, If now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let me, Lord, I pray, go among us, uh, even though we are stiff necked. You see I include now that's an intercessor. An intercessor includes himself, right? An intercessor is a lot like Elijah. Elijah was in the driest part of Israel. And it was still raining. But Elijah remembered God's word. So the first thing an intercessor does is he takes God's word, or she. And they take God's word. And then they pray God's will instead of their own. That's what an intercessor does. Even to their own hurt. Because Elijah 
realized what the Word of God said. He said, if my people turn toward idolatry, I'm going to withhold the rain. So he knew that the people were going to continue to be deceived. And he knew a little hardship would turn some of them back to God. So he came in agreement with God's Word and prayed again to his own hurt. He had no idea there was going to be a raven by a brook when he prayed. But he said, I'm going to lay my will down and I'm going to pray some hardship into this land according to the Word of God so that people will have their eyes open and come back to God. That's an intercessor. An intercessor is not just somebody who prays for their own needs. In fact, they're the, they pray, what if somebody in our country starts interceding? I know this ain't going to fall good when I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. What if somebody in our in our country, starts saying, God, reward us to all the innocent blood we've shed so that we won't keep going and killing, slaughtering babies so that it won't be like getting a soft drink out of a machine and popping the top off of it. What if an intercessor starts praying, God, reward us for shedding innocent blood in this country so that some of the people's eyes could be opened and they'll turn back to God. Because the way we're going, we're going to keep losing numbers. We're already down. Listen, nothing's a sin in this country anymore. Have you noticed that? Nothing's an offense to God. If we don't get some judgment coming, and it's coming. But if we don't get some judgment falling in this land, we're going to raise up whole generations that are deceived. And we're about there already. But an intercessor, think about Elijah. He's a true intercessor. He said, there's God's word. This is what he said. I'm going to come in agreement with that and pray that even though I live in the driest part of Israel already and the rain's going to stop. You know why he could pray that way? Because he knew the souls of the people of Israel was more important than their physical well-being. And until we get people like that praying, we're not going to move very far in this country. I know it's a hard word. But until we get people that are praying like that, you know what Paul said? He said, I heard about that guy. You all have informed me. He said, put that guy outside the church that his flesh will be destroyed so his soul might be saved. Now that's a hard prayer to pray, especially if you're praying it for somebody you love. To look at them and say, God... Open the doors of hardship into their life so that they'll be humbled and see who you really are. But some of us might need to start praying some of that. We might need to be a true intercessor. We might need to be that person that says, I'm going to pray to my own hurt. What's the psalmist say? A righteous man is one that swears to his own hurt and refuses to change. Where are those people? Where are the Moseses? Where are the Noahs that put up with the persecution and the hardship? It can be us. We can be those people. And he says, so uh, I took a picture of something that I wrote on the board somewhere. And I, I don't like to bring my phone out up here in this pulpit, but I feel like it's uh, something along with this intercessory stuff that I... Uh, wrote down and I took a picture of it with my camera yeah an intercessor is someone who has 
no regard for their own wellness. And think about Elijah when you think about that. Think about Jesus. He interceded. His whole life was intercession. He was intersecting and interceding in front of us, laying his own life down, praying till his blood became his, till his, his, his sweat became like blood, and then be getting hauled out of there and beat half to death. I don't. I, everybody says what the preacher thinks, but I don't believe a, a, a mere man who had sin in his life would have ever made it off that block with after that whipping. The, most theologians believe his organs were exposed by the time they were done whipping him. They would have bled out between there and the cross. But the reason Jesus couldn't die is because he had no sin. Death reigns because of sin. Well, Jesus had no sin, so the body couldn't die until he gave up the ghost. That's the power of who he was. But no real man, we'd, we'd have bled out from the block to the cross. We'd have never got up to the top of the hill. But it didn't matter with him because death had no legal claim on him. And that's why when they came looking at the thieves, this one, this one, then Jesus was already gone because he'd give up the ghosts. And the Bible had prophesied that not one of his bones would be broken. That's normally what they did with those guys to give that last shock to finish them off, basically. But he'd given up the ghost. He said, no man takes my life, I lay it down. And so the last temptation Jesus had was to come off that cross. Remember that? That's the last attempt by Satan to get him to stop and not do the will of God. As they came through there, they said, Ah, oh, he saved others. Why can't he say? That's tempting, right? That's the temptation. Come on down. Show us who you really are. That was Satan. Using some of his folks to come by and to tempt Jesus one last time if he would just stop short. That's what Satan was probably thinking. If I could just get him to stop one step short of what he has to do. And Jesus stayed there the whole time. Would not even take the painkiller that they offered him. Because he suffered everything for us. That's a real intercessor. An intercessor is somebody... That, has their own, that gives no regard to their own well-being because they're standing in the gap for the will of God and for the people. Remember what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine that? On that cross, and Stephen, Stephen followed in suit, right? He was a good disciple because Stephen was getting stoned. And he said, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. He was having mercy on the ignorance and on the sinful. Can you imagine that? What kind of love it takes to do that? And we can't forget somebody saying something about us. <laughs> Take a little tongue lashing and we're ready to get mad and quit on God. I'd kept a few letters from folks that I'd gotten. They're usually anonymous. They don't, they don't. I, that's the one thing I would like to do with uh, social media is, is if you could have a plan where it forced people to let us know who they are if you're big enough to say it put your name on it but I, I threw them away today I thought I don't want to I don't want to keep that stuff just get rid of it let it go 
Don't want that stuff hanging around in my office. Don't want that spirit. And somehow, somewhere, and I'm hoping God will finish us all off. If you were here last night, I said, by the time we get through the book of Romans, I hope we're all dead. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, right? Because it really deals with the flesh, right? It deals with the flesh and the spirit and how, man. And do you just see it? He still shows up, don't he? You, you get up in the morning, you head to the breakfast table and you think, it's going to be a great day. And all of a sudden the flesh sits right down beside of you. Wants two eggs and bacon, just like you. <laughs> and that, so we want God to keep doing that work in us, right? To where we keep dying to ourselves. What John said, he must increase and I got to decrease. That's a journey. It's a journey. Let him keep increasing and me decreasing. My wife... Everybody in my circle's better off the more I die to myself. Not to mention me, right? We're all better off. He said, behold, I, uh, he says, um, Moses said, if I found grace, Lord, I pray go among us and we are stiff-necked. He says, Eve, including pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us, take us as your inheritance. And Daniel did the same thing. Remember, he's a good intercessor. He said, uh, we have sinned. Well, Daniel hadn't really fell into what they'd sinned. Daniel was like, he had got some of the consequences of their sin. He wound up in Babylon, but he identified with them. He said, we have sinned, right? So he, that's a true intercessor. A true intercessor don't come in here and say, Lord, help our country and those that are living in sin. A true, and that, that may need to be prayed too, but an intercessor will come in and say, Lord, forgive us, nation. We have strayed from you. And that's how Daniel prayed. In fact, let's go over there for a minute. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And let's see how this, this intercessor prayed for God's people. And I want to, I want us to get involved in intercessory prayer but that's part of the flesh dying too because you can't pray to your own hurt if you're if you don't want to surrender and so all that's part of the journey of the flesh dying you know uh if you let's just think about one of your own children let's say one of your children is in under the devil's he's the, he or she is captive by satan however it doesn't matter how it's done it but you just know their life is basically Captivated by the ways of Satan. It's not going to be easy to pray, Lord. Take that person on a journey, even if you have to bring them to their knees. So that they may know you. You know, it's easy to pray that for people we don't know. Uh... Verse 3 of chapter 9 of Daniel says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And here's our season, right? The fast starts tonight, or this evening. Here's our season. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him. Now see, He's... He's, it sounds like to me he's pulling right here out of Exodus. That's what we were talking about when God walked by Moses. He talked about his mercy. And with those who keep his commandments. So he don't clear the guilty. But those who keep his commandments are going to have his, 
He experiences mercy and love. We have sinned. So he puts himself there. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, there again, see, he's in, he puts himself in there, to us, shame of face as it is this day. Do you realize that Jesus did that with us? He identified with us. He became sin for us. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all of Israel, those near and those far off in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. He says, we've sinned and committed iniquity. Now I was around a true intercessor in my life. And she was a widow. And my daughter's middle name is her name. She had that much impact in our life. But if I was visiting her, or my wife and I were visiting her, and we, we took care of her the last year or so of her life before she passed on be the Lord. She was a widower and had no family around but if you called her, if I were sitting there with her, and I was her pastor, if I was sitting there with her, and you called her at 2.30 in the afternoon, and said, I have this need, when she got off the phone, she would look at me and say, I must excuse myself and go pray now. And sometimes I'd stay and wait her out, sometimes I'd go on out. She wasn't that person. We all know those people because we've been that person, ain't we? Will you pray about this? Yeah, I'll pray about it. She was a true intercessor. Whatever she was doing, if she got a call to pray, she dropped it and went and prayed. And she, whatever was on her agenda, it was put off. Because she knew she was called to be an intercessor. Somebody who put the will of God and the needs of others in front of her own. I'm sure she'll be greatly rewarded. She had brain cancer 25 years before I knew her and got healed. She was, she was a father. She had plenty of faith. But she was committed to being an intercessor. So much so that she would excuse herself even if she had company to do what she'd been, what she'd been called to do. He said, uh, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name to our kings and princes, to the fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face. As to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in the country to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they've committed. Now, I, I want to say this, and I'm talking to myself too. Unfaithfulness will cost us. You can make light of not obeying God or putting Him off or not praying for two weeks or not getting in the Word. But it's going to call, it catches us. It catches up with us. He says, uh, notice what Daniel says, you have driven them. He said, he's praying for the people that have been driven off. 
He said, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. They suffered for being unfaithful. So will we. So will we. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. See, he's still he's interceding, he's concluding himself. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So drawing back here, looks like from Exodus or passages like that. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which we have set, which he has set before us and his servants and the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges and judges by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Now let's assume for a moment before we go back to Exodus, let's assume for a moment that there is nobody in this land that's praying for God's justice. What do you mean when you pray that? What most of us mean is we want to see God fix things the way we think they ought to be fixed. Which would mean this. God withhold the rain from everybody in the land but where I'm living. But Elijah, Daniel, they were all in. Jesus was all in. He suffered everything that should have happened to us. What intercession is. What if we start having people in this land that say, God, bring us the justice we deserve for slaughtering 80 million babies. Because if we keep going the way we're going, aborting a baby... It's like going to the trash dump for people now. It ain't working the way we're going. If you poll these people and some of our, like Dwayne, <clears throat> that are working in these schools here, local schools, and you start talking to these teenagers and middle schoolers and ask them how many of them think homosexuality is wrong, you'd be surprised. That number is way low. Because we've come to a culture now that thinks everything's okay, and they've adopted this philosophy, and I hate, I hate it so bad, I don't even like to bring it up. I'm going to live my truth. There ain't no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's one truth. But we've got this whole culture now. This is my truth. Today I'm going to be a girl. Tomorrow I'm going to be a guy. That's, my, that's, that's how they're being trained. So I'm saying to you and I, us praying for God to withhold His judgment might not be helping this nation. We might need a little judgment in this nation to turn our hearts back to God. Now I know that's hard stuff. But we might need some judgment to fall on this land. That's what Elijah and Daniel was praying for. So that the eyes of... Let me ask you, what's more important? Somebody's soul... Or anything else you want to put on that scale with it. Your grandchildren's soul, is that more important than their career? Why sure, it ain't even close. 
But we don't live in a culture like that. You and I are the only ones that still think like that. People who are true followers of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that believe that somebody's spiritual life is far more important than their career or anything else in their life. But the world don't think like that. And they're getting saturated with that. They're getting saturated with acting like an animal. And asking for a litter box to be put in the restroom of the school. And walking around with some kind of leash on them. They're getting saturated with that. That is distorted. That ain't funny. That's crazy is what that is. That's demonic. And, and if we don't get God shaking this place up. He's already started. <laughs> if we don't get God shaking this place up. I'm afraid some of them are going to die. I'm afraid most of them are going to die blind. Not some of them, most of them. Because we're already down to 13% according to the last Barna poll I read. That I believe it was Barna, one of those guys that said there's 13% of Americans are what they call committed Christians. People who going to church is important to them, tithing is important to them, things that they're committed to. Committed believers, 13%. I grew up, they kept telling us it was in the high 70s. And I'm getting older, but I'm not that old. So I'm afraid if God don't start getting our attention and shaking this place, that we're going to have a lot of blind people walking around. And it's sad to see. It's sad to see. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want it to be none of my family. Do you want it to be any of yours? I want them to, I want them to have their eyes open. I, I could... One of my people behind me and one of my grandfathers who was not a good person until the Lord humbled them. They lived a tough life after he humbled them, but they came to Christ after the humbling. See, we got to get it in our minds like Jesus did. I, I, I really believe that Jesus is a lot more serious about this stuff than we are. So much so, I'm going to tell you how serious he was. He said, if your hand offends you, you better cut it off. If your foot offends you, you better cut it off. If your eye offends you, you need to pluck it out. Now, I know the first thing that comes to our mind, because here comes the flesh rallying up, right? Well, did he really mean that? Well, I don't know. But I can tell you this. He was stressing to us, you better do whatever it takes to keep you from going to heaven. He said it's better to go through life main. Than it is to enter hell. That's serious business. When you make a statement like that. We can argue about whether he was spiritualizing it or not. I tend to lean toward natural things. But I understand the spiritual side of things. So I'm not here to call the shot on that. But this is what we can all agree on. He was serious about getting to heaven. And we better be serious about it too. And we need to hand that off to people. That's why I told you when Christmas time comes, if you're the only one in the room that's going to talk about Jesus, be the one to stand up and do it. Tell them this ain't about that guy wearing a red suit. This is about Jesus. The one that was clothed with the red blood. 
That's what this is about. This is about God sending him and giving us the greatest gift we'll ever have. And he said, uh, Moses is, uh, I'm back to the Exodus. Uh, he says, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. That's a big ask, isn't it? But the reason he could ask it is because he included himself in it. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. For it is awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite. I'm going to stop because I want to talk about those guys more extensively. Um, so, I don't know if God will answer us. Or I, don't, I should say I don't know how he will answer us if we said... If we prayed like Elijah did. But I think it would do God's heart good. To hear some people say. We want you to do what you. What you need to do. We want you to show up. And if that means. You bring judgment to this land. Then you bring judgment to this land. Because right now. We're losing. So many souls. To the culture. That if you don't wake us up. We're going to keep losing them. Intercessory prayer. Is not an easy task. Because it's not a laundry list. Of what you think God ought to be doing. It's a place where you're willing to lay your own life down. And say. Don't let it rain at my house either. And I'll trust you. There's a lot of trust has to go into intercessory prayer. Somebody's going to be a prayer. And I shared this story before, but I'll close with this. And I, I didn't learn this all then. This was just a, God starting to take me down that path. But when I was praying on the creek bank, and I, I was praying for a particular family within my family, and materially they were the most blessed by far of any of us. And I was praying for God. I, I'm just praying that religious prayer, right? Lord bless them. Lord take. And it's like I run into that wall. Some of you heard me tell this. And the Lord said, bless them. I have blessed them. He said, you need to pray that I'll break them. Now when it's somebody you love. Because you know when you say that word. When you come into agreement with the Holy Spirit. For God to judge a nation that shed innocent blood you're opening the door now God can walk through it or not how he chooses to walk through it but when you turn your prayer from saying God bless them to break them that's intercession and that's not an easy task but a righteous man will swear to his own hurt and change not God, we thank you for your word. It's real to us today. It's real to me. I'm talking to myself, letting everybody else listen. And I pray, God, that as we walk down this journey and as we go through the book of Romans and as you've been ministering to us here in this book of Exodus, and I pray that people are tapping into this, the ones that can't be here, 
We just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us to be those people who exist for your will above our own and who care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. And that would start by their soul. That we care about their soul and where they spend eternity. Let that be a reality for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.